In today's episode of Work at Life, we are talking about ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance, with Kisa Shreen, author of the brand new book, Gambling on Green, published by Wiley, which is available now on Amazon or check your local bookstore. Welcome to Work at Life. This is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work, and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. I'm Maddie Grant, a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consulting firm called Propel, and I'm your co-host alongside my fabulous friend, Sonia Lucina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Pro. Hi, Kisa. We are so excited to have you and to talk about this super important topic. Um, But before we get started, how about if you could give us um, a little bit of bio, a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Absolutely, Maddie. I am so happy to be here, Maddie. It's just wonderful that you have the podcast called Work at Life. I have to say that is a phenomenal name because that's something that so many of us are looking to master at the same time. So it's great to have you and the vision (laughs) and really bringing it to, to fruition. So have to get that out of the way and thank you first. I am in the ESG space, as you mentioned, environmental social governance. That's what ESG stands for. And in many times I speak with folks and they have um, a very wise observation of why are we combining ESG? Why is this a thing? Why is it not just EG or SE? Like why is there ESG? And so one of the things I'd like to point out is um, the interconnectedness of them all. And one of the things that I point out in doing so is talking about what we've all recently experienced with the pandemic. We remember initially back in 2020, folks talking about underlying health issues, right? Everyone remembers that. So one of the ways that people could get there to have an underlying health issue is where they live. Their zip code could contribute greatly to the underlying health issue. And let's unpack that. Sometimes um, people live in communities where there are lots of industries going on, and those industries are producing goods, and unfortunately, carbon emissions have been put into the atmosphere. Unfortunately, there has been pollution of drinking water, and we're hearing a lot about that now. So where you live and what you are exposed to can really um, do damage, quite frankly, on your health. So it's not just your mental health, that too, but mental and physical health. And so some of these underlying conditions result from a business or businesses, industries, not really going about their operations in the best way, not being sustainable. So you have the E, or the climate. A lot of people use climate and say that, okay, environmental climate, pretty similar. You have the E piece of that. You have businesses that are pumping out these various sorts of toxins in our air, in our water, polluting. And that really shouldn't be so. You have the S piece of that. The people who live in the neighborhoods where the businesses are located, they're in these communities. The businesses have not engaged with the communities. They haven't chatted with them to get a sense of how they are giving back or if they're doing things like polluting in a way that obviously the communities don't want. Then you have the G, the governance piece. What can the senior leadership, the board, what can they do to create a better operational flow to really make sure that 
the business operates ethically in their operations, ethically in a way that the people who work there can be proud of, that the business leaders can be proud of, ethics that really put people at the center. So when I talk about environmental social governance or ESG, I like to use that example because for me, that really brings it all together and people can get a sense of why ESG is a wrapper, a wrapper in terms of why it contains um, those elements and why when we're looking at ESG data to make decisions, if we're investors who are making decisions about where to invest our money, or if we are businesses trying to make a case for why we need to improve in a certain area, why we look at this data holistically. Now, obviously, it can be taken apart, and each one of them are very important as a standalone. But that's what ESG is, and that's one of the reasons why it's taken holistically, because in many times, you have those things happening in tandem. So I have to say, I'm absolutely in love with this. And I was not familiar with the term ESG before, before you know, getting into uh, the research around your book. Um, but I wrote a, what I call the Future of Work Manifesto. And it has this one little paragraph at the beginning of it that says that work involves a sense of belonging. Work has meaning for the networks each individual is connected to. Work has meaning for the local community and for the global community. Work involves social responsibility. So it's like, I'm right there with you. I totally, totally get it. And I think this is so important and definitely not talked about enough in your kind of holistic sense. Like it's not just about, you know, like, like local community programs, which is, you know, obviously something good, but that's, I just feel like there's so much more that there could be. But before I get all into, the, into my clouds on this, <laughs> um, Sonia, as always, we have a, a data point to share to, you know, start off our conversation. So I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Maddie. Um, so we asked 300 workers around um, the United States just in the last week through Question Pro Quick Polls. Um, does your company have a sustainability policy? And what we found is actually 38% said yes, my company does a lot for the community or the environment. And then the rest was pretty evenly split out. 21% said yes, we have a policy, but I'm not sure of the impact. Another 20% said, yes, I think so, but I know nothing about it. And then finally, 21% no, my company does not have a sustainability or corporate social responsibility policy. So given those results, Kisa is an like absolute expert in this area. Were you surprised by them? Is that what you generally see in your conversations and in your research? Tell, tell us, well, <laughs> what Sonia, do you always see in this data? <laughs> Sonia, I'm so thrilled that you are taking, that this survey is something that's bubbled up and something that you want to unpack because this is what really matters. I bet a lot of these companies in the survey would say, well, what do you mean you don't know? Yeah, we, we have it posted on our website. Well, yeah, we talk about it, you know, once a year at the town hall. Yeah. You know, how don't you know? We talk about all that. But what yeah. matters, what matters is if the employees are absorbing it 
And yeah. if the employees feel that it is lived, so not just a policy, but if it's mm-hmm. something that's lived by the senior management, by everyone um, in, in the team. And I like to use the term leaders because I think everyone can be a leader. So when you hear me talk about leaders, mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about you know someone with a certain title, but everyone in the company, those who are suppliers, so those who are in the value chain, suppliers and vendors and contractors. So it matters how the leaders perceive these policies how the leaders perceive what's being actioned. We know that um, when we have the right language inside of an organization, it can make all the difference. And so in many cases, we talk about the policies. If we're using the right language with each other in our businesses as part of our mission, if we're really taking from that, then more than likely the leaders in the company would say, you know, yeah, we have a policy. And it's pretty strong. It's not just a policy. It's, a str- it's something that we live out. So the fact that 38% said, yeah, we definitely have it. I know about it. That's fantastic. But those, it sounds like 20% segments, the ones who are either unsure or said, yeah, I think we do, but you know, it's not really something we act on. That's where we really need to focus. And again, mm-hmm. it's not just about words that we have on the website, because as I said, I bet a lot of the companies have the website and they have it there and would be utterly shocked that the leaders in the company said that we don't know. But what matters is how that's socialized. So the Mm -hmm. actions that come off the back of that. And Maddie, you were talking earlier um, about your manifesto. And I wanted to to insert something into what I said previously about the SP, social. It is about what goes on outside the company, clearly. But social has such a huge part of it, such a huge part of it, is about what happens in your company. Do workers feel safe mentally? as Mm -hmm. well as physically? Do they feel that they are not just tolerated, but celebrated? Are they engaged on a frequent basis? Are we sharing information, sharing strategy? Is everyone aware of what the goal is? Do they feel confident to be innovative? Do they feel confident to bring ideas, raise their hands, or do they feel like they're gonna be shut down? You know, Is there a lot of unconscious bias going on that's been going on for 10 years? or more that's now becoming fully conscious, but bias still nonetheless. Is there that going on? You know, are people participating in quiet quitting, quiet firing? Is that happening? So when we look at the S piece, the social aspect, what businesses are doing positively, negatively, otherwise in the community is critical. But you can't have a business without having people. Try having a business with just a building or just a (laughs) virtual, you know, just your team's page. Try doing that. Find out how that's working for you. Without the people in the business really helping to socialize what the business stands for, what the business values, without that, um, there's really no way forward. And we're talking about the future of work. That is the future of work and the future of business, valuing those people who are the lifeblood of your company. Girl, you're preaching to the choir. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm super resonating with absolutely everything you're talking about. And I just love, you know, so I mentioned, um, to me, it came out as part of a sense of belonging, but the way that you're able to actually articulate all of those different ways that matters that people might not realize that all of those things have anything to do with um, corporate social responsibility or you know, um, just policies in general, right? But I think this is this is the new way of thinking about the workplace is that it's 
it's a group, a network of individuals who have care, right? Who care about their work, care about the the organization, but then also care about the community in which the organization sits. Um, and I don't know, even though the, this topic is not necessarily new, I, I really don't feel like we've necessarily kind of embraced it like we should be, you know? <laughs> yeah, in terms of embracing it, there has to be um, a reason or a rationale. And we talk a lot about, you know, why, why would a company do this? A company, you know, they're all about profits. They're all about revenues. They're all about sales. So what would inspire a company to do this? Well, there are a couple of things. And when people say, oh, that's a nice to have, that's the reason that I bristle because this is not a nice to have. It's a must have. A couple of things. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Maddie, I'm going to, I think that was the, the way where you were getting, which is why would a company want to do this? Well, first of all, we talked about innovation. And to really be innovative, you need the best talent. And the best talent means you're willing to invest in the people who are there. So sometimes you can have someone who can be a talented, innovative individual, but for some reason, when they're sitting there in front of their laptop, when they're sitting there mind mapping on Teams or on any other platform, they just can't get it out of them. You know, the inspiration just isn't there. And that's when the management of the organization, when they need to step in and say, what can we do better? It's just not up to HR, right? It's just not something that the HR department, they shouldn't just own that. What do we need to do as an organization to ensure that people, first of all, feel comfortable and safe to share their ideas, to know that they won't be shot down, to know that they won't be ridiculed, to know there won't be microaggressions that are going on during the time they're sharing? What can we do from that perspective? And then how can we really get folks to bring their their best, most creative ideas? You know, maybe it hinges on doing hybrid work. Maybe it hinges on allowing more work from home opportunities like we're seeing now. Maybe mm -hmm. it hinges on getting outside out of the office and, and really just going out and allowing your your team to have these really cool experiences outside of the workplace. Think about how people work well. What do they need to do? What do they need to bring their best selves? And that's the first reason why um, and a focus on workplace culture and workforce empowerment and worker engagement. The first reason why it's important is because, as I said before, people are the lifeblood of the business. If your people aren't innovative, you will not make it into you know, the next decade. Your business just simply can't compete. So why is it important? First of all, your people are important. Having your people bring the best selves, that's important. But you need to really be mindful as, as corporate management teams to really make sure that you bring out and help people to bring out the best um, in themselves and others when you're coaching them. So that's the first thing. The second reason why it's important, we see increasingly Institutional investors, big investors with big, huge investment management firms, they are looking at the firms in their portfolios and they're saying to themselves, huh, what can I talk to, to these firms about to really make things better? I'm looking at their sustainability reports. You know, I'm seeing that they might be reducing their carbon emissions and that's great. Those things are measurable, right? Yeah. Um, but what can they do in terms of making it a better place for employees? Some things are measurable there with the S, like retention. Wow, I'm an investor. I see there's a lot of turnover. I see that a lot of operational costs are just 
placed in the bucket of getting folks trained and onboarded? Why, why is there so much turnover? Why are people leaving every few months or so? What's going on there? Let me peel the layers back. So if I see that's going on, if I'm peeling layers back and saying, huh, there's not a lot of retention, that's because workers, they're saying in these, you know, post um, these reviews after they leave the company from Glassdoor or whatnot, they're saying that the company's leadership management team didn't make them feel good about their ideas. They're saying they mm -hmm. did not feel celebrated. They're saying that there was lots of microaggression going on. These things as an investor. Probably saying they the company doesn't reflect their values, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> like it's, it's that simple, I think, sometimes. There you go. Absolutely. The companies just don't reflect my values. So I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm giving my resignation. And I'm leaving. Those are the sorts of things that investors look at and they say, huh, we really need to fix this. Let me talk to the senior folks at the firm to see what's going on and see what we can do to fix it because I'm investing my money in there. I have a stake. So I want to make sure that those things are addressed. And the third thing, and I really want to revisit what you said, Maddie, why it's important to engage the workforce because consumers care about what's happening. Consumers are really mindful about who they're buying from, who they're supporting, who they're endorsing. And mm -hmm. if they hear scandals going on ranging from not having the proper equipment to do your work. And so lots of people getting sick because they don't have the proper protective gear. Or if they're hearing about other issues going on at work, if they're hearing about slave labor, perhaps by maybe not just the company, but by the company's vendors, by their supply chains, right? So the company might not be doing it, but their supply chains might be doing it. If they're hearing about this, they're saying, oh, I don't know if I want to, I'm not going to do business there. There's a lot going on. So if we look at the reasons why a company should care about workplace development, it's first of all, because you want to empower your employees to be innovative. You want them to be happy to be there because that's when they really come with their best selves, when they're happy to be there, when they're innovative. Number two, investors care about what's going on. They care about retention numbers. They care about how much is being spent to onboard and bring on new people. They care about the reputation of the companies they're investing in. Right. <laughs> and three, to your point, consumers care about who they're buying from and they want to support only those companies that are doing right by people. Well, I think it's interesting because in, in a lot of those examples, you're like I, my mind keeps going in this direction. I don't know if it's the right or not. Um, I know one of the questions we were kind of like debating before is, you know, goodness, like, does it even make sense that some companies maybe need to be convinced of the importance of this? Like, isn't it so clear? And then in some ways, like, again, my mind keeps going to like diversity and inclusion, where I think that we've been maybe talking about it for even longer as a society. And it's generally accepted as the right thing to do. Yet the way organizations operationalize it, there's still a huge gap. There's a huge gap in priority. There's a huge gap in measurement. And so a lot of these things that you're talking about, my mind is going there too. Um, the one thing that I like that's really resonating too that you're saying that I think can maybe close that gap is what you're seeing with investors and with the numbers being presented. And a lot of times when we talk about culture, there there are a lot of good things that should be done that are just morally right that organizations should be doing. But I understand that a lot of times, you know, it's a business, you need to make money, et cetera, et cetera. But now that the best of the both worlds is like the onboarding cost, to your point, the retention, there's some real dollar signs there. So if you need to like quantify, if you need to further justify 
And then to your last point too, the the consumer experience, like at Question Pro, we study a lot the employee experience and the consumer experience and that incredible tie in between it. And we continue to try to push the envelope on, you know, how do you measure? How do you, because nobody is going to, or maybe not nobody, very few people will argue that there's not a connection. Um, yet a lot of times we still look at it as separate universes. So what's really resonating with the things that you're saying is just this, quantifiability of the human factor and the business factor that can maybe be bridged in a much more effective way than some of the things like that we were missing before. So that's, it's got my wheels spinning in all kinds of ways for like, <laughs> how do you make it more of a case? How do you bring it to life? Like what we're seeing with the data, you know, with some of the organizations that are maybe kind of doing it or not doing it at all. Um, what's that urgent case for it? And I think there's, it's just coming from all different ends. <laughs> And that's a really great point, Sonia. How can you bring it to life? How can you, how can you bring it to life in the company? And I'm going to give you a story about someone who brought it to life. Um, a friend of mine was a part of a what we call ERG, Employee Resource Group. And employee mm -hmm. resource groups are generally tasked to really dig into cultural happenings, whether it's um, you know, various backgrounds, areas of diversity, so gender, a woman's resource group. Um, ethnicity and racial backgrounds, um, LGBTQ+. So these are certain things that really ERGs really focus on, um, various abilities, veterans, et cetera. And a friend of mine wanted to start a sustainability um, employee resource group. And so in doing so, what she did was say, what can we do right now that's tangible that will help the firm see that we can not only be an advocate for sustainability internally, but we can also help them reduce costs. And what she came up with, brilliant young woman, what she came up with was let's get investment from some of the stakeholders, some of the senior folks in the company, get some investment dollars from them. And let's invest in reusable eating, dining utensils. And so she did that. And they saw, the company saw the cost of their plastic utensils, they were using plastic, they saw the cost of that decreased. Now, it wasn't an all of a sudden thing. As soon as she bought the reusable utensils, they didn't No, they you know, had to be used up, et cetera. But quarter over quarter, and now you know, a few years later, they've seen their costs there decrease because they've gotten employees on board to you know, wash them off, rinse them off, put them in your desk, take them and put them in your bag, whatnot, and just use them next time for lunch or next time for breakfast. And so that's something that really shows how this sort of sustainability um, piece can be brought to life. Now, as I said before, there's the E and the S and the G. So there are lots of things we can talk about from a social perspective, from a governance or ethical perspective. But if we just look at that environmental piece, it's huge. And someone within the firm made that decision and they were bold enough to talk to other leaders in the firm. They were bold enough to get financing to drive their idea forward. And the company saw a decrease. Yeah, there's so many potential ideas. Um, and I'm wondering, just from your experience, have you seen, is there a danger that if a company does one thing, that that means they can consider themselves off the hook, like they've checked the box? And I, I know you probably know a lot about this from, you know, a DE&I perspective, but that's the other thing I worry about, too, is a similar thing. Like, you know, we have the DNI policy on our website, therefore check, like we don't have to do anything else, you know? 
do you think there's a danger of that or do you think that's maybe changing because the marketplace is dictating at least some change right yeah, you nailed it. The marketplace is changing. So there I'm sure was a time when they can say, oh, we checked the box on that. But now there are so many really important elements. We can't just say, you know what, we haven't been sued in five years. So, hey, yeah. we're corporate, corporate ethics. We got that. Governance. We've done it. OK, yeah, you have been sued. But what about, you know, the emissions that, that are in the atmosphere? What about what you're releasing into the water? What about the way your company is managing the water that you use, water management? What about the numbers of folks who are happy and productive in your firm? So I think that because there's really a holistic approach to the way we're looking at things, companies can no longer tick a box. And you know what? Companies don't want to because I can tell you, I've seen loads of times on Twitter when someone has decided, you know what? I tried to reach out to you all directly. I tried to have a direct chat with this company. I tried to reach out to you on Twitter. Now I'm just going to put you on blast. So you see a lot of that. So companies... <laughs> not only see the financial repercussions of you know not meeting certain standards or not doing certain things but also there's that reputation piece we see that yeah, a lot with the cancel culture yeah mm -hmm. so that reputation piece um is huge so to answer your question ticking the box just doesn't do it and also there's no such thing as an unsustainable company so just because a company um has room to grow in certain areas let's not really you know cancel them because it's really interesting, and Sonia was talking about this earlier, there's the quantitative piece. So they're just the numbers that shows you the emissions reduction, what their targets are, how they're, how they're doing against their targets, that sort of thing. But then there is the qualitative piece. And that is when managers say, hey, this is just to put some context around the numbers that you're seeing, shareholders or you know, consumers. We know we didn't meet the goal. We didn't do it this year but this is our plan to do it next quarter. This is our plan to do it over the next 18, 24 months. So there is room for grace when a company doesn't meet certain areas or do the things they want it to do. Obviously, you know, we need to pay attention to numbers. There needs to be accountability, but let's look at the qualitative piece too. What are they putting in place that might yield fruit in two years? Let's think about that when we think about what companies are doing, the qualitative as well as the quantitative. Very important. Yeah. So I love that. And I was actually in a different context recently talking with somebody about um, when you don't reach a goal or you just say, hey, like, I'm sorry, you know, this is what we try to do. Um, my recommendation too, and this probably depends on what the organization did, is in addition to the plan in the future, maybe talking a little bit about what they did in the past. Because a lot of times, and maybe this, I think it's still relevant here, is that we try different things, right? We make different commitments. And usually we do it because we believe it'll help us towards our goal. Well, the environment around us is changing all the time. Some of the bets that we make that think we think are going to have these big payoffs just don't. But if we're not there, I would much rather know like, hey, we did these three things. We made these bets. Bet number one paid off. But you know what? Ugh, two and three didn't. We thought it would help us get there. It didn't. This is what we learned from it. And then to your point, this is where we're going. Because I think sometimes when you don't talk about what was done um, for people. It could be maybe more easily assumed that it, nothing was done. And that's why we're not where we want to be. Yeah. We're in reality. Mm -hmm. Like I try in a different way to things with our business all the time. And I'm like, this is going to work. It's going to work. And it does. And I'm like, how did it not? Like I had every, every reason, every logical reason, every piece of data research, and then it just didn't. But I would rather share one, 
share with the people, not only to know that we tried something, but two, um, we're also really big about like community learnings and knowledge. So there's somebody else out there trying or thinking about trying a similar strategy in the future. Maybe there's some variables that would make a different outcome for them. But if they can take any learnings from us and do things differently, I want to put that out there. Like, don't, don't make the same mistake I did, like in the best intention, but don't do it like, or don't make the same bet I did because it didn't pay off. Make a different one. Yeah. Well, and you said the L word, right? Learning a culture, building a culture of learning is actually so, so critical yeah. so that you need to be able to comfortably um, experiment with these things, you know, on an ongoing basis. Cause like you said, the environment's always going to keep changing mm-hmm. even more. It's just accelerating the change. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of never standing still either. Um, and also just because something worked this year, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work next year. You need to keep mm-hmm. on the ball basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the, the, the thought about being a continual learner, someone who's always looking to learn. And that can be something embodied by a person or a group as well as an organization. And with that being said, there's always opportunity to course correct. As you were saying, Sonia, Mm -hmm. there is always the opportunity to say, these are the things we wanted to do, but this is what we did. And I agree with that to really put out there, this is what we accomplished can really give your employees pride in that, you know what, we, we maybe didn't do everything, but we did some important things that gives them pride. And again, furthers that sort of pride in what they do. And it furthers that whole innovation conversation that we talked about earlier, being fully present, being happy that you're there, being proud of what you're producing, and also being proud of what the company is doing. You know, in many cases, the revenue is the driver and we can have a full one hour meeting about revenue targets. Revenue targets are important. They are critical. Mm -hmm. With that said, it's great to have and to understand what the company wants to bring to the market at the end of the day. Why are we here? What's our purpose? What do we really want to do for consumers? What do we really want to do for the person who buys our product, for the person who purchases our service? How do we want them to feel when they leave? How can we get them interested in coming back? Those are the sorts of things that can help drive the conversation as well. Totally. So I cannot believe that we are just about out of time already. What happened? (laughs) Time has no meaning in this podcast. Um, But since we are just about out of time, um, Kisa, do you have a like a takeaway, you know, one final tip maybe for our listeners? Um, I know we've covered a lot of ground here, so uh, don't want to put you on the spot, but no, like a final word. Yep, Sonia, Maddie, you know, I would like to leave with listeners that anyone can be a leader. Anyone can be a leader. Do the self-education as well as looking to your company to learn more about those areas you want to focus on, but also do the self-education, learn more about what it is you want to take a role in and go for it and do it. And that could be something to advance your career. And it also can be something to support the industry, to support the people in your firm, and importantly, to support your customers and those who are in the communities where you do business. Anyone can lead on that. Great ideas are needed. Spread them. Be a leader. Yay. I love it. (laughs) Sonia, any closing thoughts from you before we... I do not want to muddy the waters after that. I will just <laughs> I will leave leave our listeners with a brilliant suggestion. 
Yes, thank you so much, Kisa. This was really, really awesome. Really great. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And good luck on, on the book. Um, again, the book is called Gambling on Green. It is available at Amazon and your local bookstore, hopefully. And if not, ask for it. <laughs> um, available now. <laughs>